Welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name's Tim. Good to be with you this morning. We're in a series called Paradigm Shift, and um, two weeks ago I opened up the series. Gary, last week, talked about how God wants us to think about the things we have, our resources, how we should use them. We all have paradigms. Uh, that's the thing that I'm learning is I'm constantly thinking about this uh, right now. Uh, all of us here, as they say two heads are better than one. Three heads cause a lot of confusion. That may be true. Uh, why is that? Because all of us here have a different paradigm. All of us here have a different way of looking at things. When we experience something, see something, for some reason we just have a different viewpoint than uh, we perhaps have with someone else. That's the way it is. We see people differently. We see uh, situations and ideas. They're all different. That's something I've discovered in this uh, series already, that we all have them, and they're always moving around in our lifetime. Has this ever happened to you? You felt a certain way or you thought of something a certain way for a number of years, only to have something happen. Maybe you meet somebody, you experience something, you read something, or you're praying uh, in your Bible and you see something and you have that aha moment, and all of a sudden you don't think the way you used to anymore. You've changed. Everything's still the same, but you're seeing it differently now. Well, what's happened? You've had this aha moment and the dominoes are beginning to fall into everything. And I'm excited about this sermon series because it's challenging our thinking. If anything, it's introducing us to the idea that every day God is trying to change the way you and I think. Every Sunday, paradigms, He wants to change. I've learned something else about paradigms. And that is that they can be good and they can be bad. Have you figured that out yet? You can have a good paradigm and you can have a bad paradigm. What is a bad paradigm? A bad paradigm is bigotry, prejudice. That's a bad paradigm. It can be as strong as that. It can be something we may think is simple or harmless as worry, what we worry about. We're basing it on a paradigm. Also, a paradigm can be good. You meet people that seem to be so forgiving, or they're such others-oriented, or they're, they just—they seem to be a positive person. Why? Why are they that way when you're not that way? Well, it's because they have—they their paradigm has shifted, and they, at the present time, have a good one. Now, the thing about good and bad paradigms is they kind of move around a lot. They can be a little tricky. I've noticed. I'm talking to somebody last week. They said, you know, I decided, you know, we were—I was going to changed this in my life, so I started working on this. But now I notice after several months, I've kind of fell back or shifted into what he called the default switch. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like I've always thought. You know, I try to make this effort, but it seems like it goes back. And that's what paradigms do. Sometimes they'll shift back and forth. But one of the things I learned this week I thought was very intriguing is this, is that my earliest beliefs form my deepest paradigms. My earliest beliefs. See, I have a great fear of dogs. I have a great fear of dogs. Uh, that doesn't work very good when you're door knocking because when you hear a dog or you go to somebody's house and hear it come, woof, woof, and my heart just pumps. Anybody here got a fear of dog? You know, I do too. You know, I got bit by a dog when I was four years old. Oh, yeah. But what I'm saying is the neighbor dog bit me and ever since then I've had this fear of dogs. And so some of these paradigms that we have, and by the way, I do own a dog and I'm not afraid of that dog, but, but I, what I guess I'm saying is that some of these paradigms we have, we have in our childhood. You know, even uh, they happen early and they stick with us a long time. Well, even 
hear somebody say they're set in their ways. I'm not. They are. You know, well, what's happened? That belief they had as a child or early on has been ingrained in them so long, so much that now that they're older, it's still there and it's still affecting how they see things, how they interpret life. Um, this sermon, one of the most difficult lessons I've ever prepared for, worked all week on it. Yesterday, I'm, ba- I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm banging my head against the desk. Your, your figure of speech. No, I was literally bang, bang, going, God, I'm going to quit if I don't get this right. You've got to help me. I'm not ready. And it was yesterday. I'm thinking, and, I, and I'm thinking, why is this? Why am I having such a difficult time? And I've realized, I've discovered that there's a paradigm inside me from my childhood that taps into my insecurity and my lack of thinking I'm not very smart, that I can't do this. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? We have those things. They, they're stubborn. And they stay with us a long time. We experience something and it stays with us. And so these paradigms come and they go. Even as a Christian, even as a believer, even as a follower of God, whatever way you want to call it, we have these paradigms that can stick with us sometimes and they can get in the way. They're sticky. Look at this passage. If, 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 have we got PowerPoint yet? Then I'm going to read the passage. Oh, look at this. Oh my goodness. This is out of 2 Corinthians. And Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And look, he talks about, we have this hope he's talking about. And this hope is made, made possible through Christ. This expectation. We now have it. And he says, we're not like Moses who put a covering over his face so the Israelites would not see it. The glory was disappearing. And Moses did not want them to see it end. He's, what's, it, what's he talking about there? He said, we don't have this hope we're not like Moses. We don't cover it up. We don't put a veil over it. You know, why did Moses, his face would glow when he was in the presence of God. And he would put a covering over his face so the Israelites wouldn't see it fade away. It's an interesting lesson here. What God was talking about in the Old Testament wasn't intended to stay. It was intended to fade away. I heard Augustine say it this way. I thought this was very interesting. An old uh, church guy back in the old days said it this way. The Old Testament is the steps. The New, the New Testament is the summit. The Old Testament gets us ready to see reality, to see the Christ. Jesus is the summit. And you don't, you know, that's why the Old Testament wasn't designed to, to be lived under forever. It was to be fulfilled by Jesus. And so he says this hope we have, we have this hope. But the Jews don't, and here's why. Their minds are closed, he says in verse 14. But their minds are closed. And even today, that same covering hides the meaning when they read the old agreement. That covering is taken away only through Christ. Did you see that? He says they've got their minds made up to see the, see what God is saying a certain way, and they like it, and they want it to stay this way. And it, it clouds their thinking. They've got this paradigm, and it's like it covers over what they, they don't get the true meaning of what's going on here. But Jesus, takes away that paradigm. Jesus changes paradigms is what he's saying here. Even today, as they read the law of Moses, there is a covering over their minds. But look at this. But when a person changes and follows the Lord, that covering is taken away. See, God wants to change your mind. He wants to change your paradigms. And there's, look, all of us, me too. You know how come this sermon was so hard for me to prepare for? I had an idea and I'm coming to the Scriptures. Rather than letting the Scriptures give me the idea. You ever done that? 
I'm going to find that verse that says it's okay for me to sleep around. I know it's in there somewhere. Oh, here, here, Solomon had a bunch of women. Well, David slept with Bathsheba. Oh, wait a minute. I read on. That's bad. Oh, I can't use that one. Oh, it's okay to do this. It's okay to, to, you know, uh, lie and cheat. Oh, wait a minute. Where's the verse that's going to give me that? I want that verse. Why is Tim talking like that? Because we all think like that, right? We all go, look, uh, uh, we bring our paradigm. This is the... This is the challenge. We bring our paradigm to the Scriptures. But I got good news for you. When you bring your paradigm to the Scriptures, God can change it if you'll let Him. Look what the Bible says here in Romans 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. James talks about looking in your face in a mirror. And, and, and he says the, the tragedy is a guy looks at his face in the mirror like the Word of God and then immediately walks away and forgets what he just saw. What he just re- In other words, he resisted the paradigm shift. And here, we just see God wants to change my way of thinking. Well, how does He want me to think? How does Jesus want me to think? How does God want me to think? Well, the Bible says it right here in Philippians 2. Think the same way Jesus thought. That's what it says there in Philippians 2. Think the same way Jesus thought. With what? Everything. That's why this series is so important. That's why this series, you being here, having the courage to line up. You ever done this? To line up your beliefs? I remember when Denise and I were studying and a, a thought occurred to me. I wonder if I got it straight. And I remember just in my imagination, I've got one, you know cocking this pistol and lining up all the things I believe and I'm going, okay, you belong? Nope. And the next belief's going, is that right? Please say so. Okay, that's you're safe. Yeah, I'm still doing that. I'm still doing that. And I discovered that this week as I'm bringing... I had... I had a, I had four points of this sermon, and one of them just didn't fit. It's a good point, Lord. It's a good point. How come I'm having to work on this thing for two days and it just doesn't fit? Listen to yourself, Tim. It doesn't fit. Not today. Not today. And so I take my mouse and I highlight this wonderful point I wanted to talk about, and I hit delete. Oh, that's what it's going. I mean, my paradigm is like, no, I want the Bible to say this. Now, Tim. But see, if I could get the Bible to say that, it's easier to talk about, easier to explain. This is harder to explain today. You'll see what I'm talking about. But that's the way it is. God's working on our paradigm. Have you noticed God's working on the way you think? During this series, you're catching yourself going, I should think like that. I wonder if this is the way I should think. I had somebody stop me after the first service going, you know, Tim, I'm, it's really challenging me. I love this series. And I can sense that this is going to be a great series for us. And I just hope we change the way we think because when you change the way you think, you change what you do. You change your life. Not only become, do, we, do you become a whole new person, listen, we become a whole new church. That's nothing bad. Nothing bad about that. It's good. It's what God wants. See. So today, what I want to talk about 
is what Jesus thinks of people and how I view people when I look at how Jesus thinks. Because see, Jesus thinks a certain way about people and I've asked myself, do I think the same way? Do I have the same approach with people? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm always sizing people up. How about you? Huh? We look at them. I was, you know, again, Kevin said, you want to go to uh, watch sprint cars? I said, sure, come on. Now, he says to me before you out of the car, now I want you to know there's some very interesting people at sprint cars. You've never been. I just wanted to get you ready for it. But what are you talking about? You'll see. Oh, yeah. Man, goodness. Big guys. Some guys had holes in their throats. You know? You know, that, that little hole they put, you know. And, and some people are walking around like this. And I'm thinking, they must have been drivers at one time. And they've had a wreck, you know. And there's big guys, small people, different shapes and sizes, all wearing kind of NASCAR stuff. I don't know how to explain it. Just is that it's like that, that trashy look. And I'm fitting right in. If you're a NASCAR person, I'm sorry, I apologize. But you know, they have this it's it's like I'm thinking, why are they not dressed in their best clothes? Because they're slinging mud everywhere, folks. And they're some of them are gruffy and looking, and I'm thinking, I fit right in. I've got my old, you know, jeans on and a flannel. Just a different group of people. And then we get ready to start. I'm sizing him up. Oh, I bet he didn't get out of high school. I bet, I bet she, I bet she's had t- ten kids. You know, and you, you have these thoughts. You're all, you're sizing people up. And then the answer is, let's stand and we're going to, we're going to start off by praying. Whoa, 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 whoa. Huh? We're going to pray. Kevin goes, yeah, we're going to pray, pray. Why? It's a dangerous sport, Kevin. And this guy leads us in prayer. I've never prayed at a, I pray here. You know, but not at, not at a NASCAR or a sprint car. And we're praying. And I'm sizing this up going, maybe I don't understand what's going on here. And this guy's talking about how America's wonderful and we, our freedom has all the veterans stuff. They're all applauding and cheering. I'm going, this is not what I expected. It's, I'm surprised. My paradigm's being messed with, okay? And we size people up all the time. You got people you go to school with. You got people you work with. You got people you shop with. You see somebody changing their oil at Walmart going, what are they doing? Right? We size people up. We do it all the time. And it's based on our paradigm. Our paradigm. Now there's several places we could go to this morning to talk about this. What, what should we go to? You could go to Acts 10 if you wanted to. And you could read about Cornelius. You see his paradigm shift from you know, how he sees people and God opens His mind up to realize in the Gospels for the Gentiles too. That's a great passage to look at. Where He brings His prejudice, His Jewish prejudice is being confronted. And we see that. But I wanted to focus on what does Jesus think? Because I, I want to think like Jesus. So I thought about, well, there's a passage that kind of leaped out and grabbed me, and that was Luke 7. And it's the passage about um, Simon the Pharisee. I'm going to read... And in this, I'm going to read this. And in this passage, I want you to see is there is a, a like a, a clash or a, a meeting of the minds, if you will. Two major paradigms are in the room. And see if you can catch what the paradigms are. Now, one of the Pharisees, verse 36, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus 
to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he knows who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Now, I don't know if he's being sarcastic. Yeah, tell me, teacher. Or if he's, okay, I'm open. I'm open. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I see, Simon knows where this is going. He can tell. I suppose, at least I'm spitballing here, I'm going to guess, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And look what Jesus says. You've judged correctly. First I want to say to you is this. We all have the capacity to figure this out. How to see people. We can't use the excuse, well, that's just the way I was brought up. Oh, no, 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 no. Or I've been hurt by... No, 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 no. We can judge correctly when we have the courage to look at it. The faith to please God will judge correctly. And Simon he says, well, I guess it's the guy that uh, the bigger debt. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman. They're sitting there eating. He turns toward the woman behind him and says, Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> Has Simon been watching this woman? Absolutely. Just I, look at he says, I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she's loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then he looks, turns to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go with the peace of God, He's saying. You have peace now between God, you and God. What's going on here? See, if you ever wonder if you share God's way of thinking, just look at how you view other people. It's not your Bible knowledge. That doesn't ensure that you're going to have God's way of thinking. You can know this Pharisee knew the Bible front and back. It's not how much you go to church. This Pharisee never 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 missed. And some of you here, you could say, I've never missed anything, Tim. I'm always here. And you're right. Praise God. But I got I got news for you. That doesn't. Mean, that doesn't ensure that your thinking is going to be in line with the Lord. Do you follow me? He, he serves. Uh, he prays. Oh, He prays. Prays a lot. He knows the rules. He knows everything. But it's not how much Bible you know that determines if you share God's way of thinking. It's how you treat and how you view other people. Because, folks, life is about love. 
and see all of us here, including myself, we, we size people up through our own personal paradigm. And I would like you this morning to be concerned about yours and not someone next to you. Just think about your paradigm. Because Jesus is concerned about a fellow's paradigm here. And He confronts it head on. He challenges Simon's perception of people. And He's going to challenge ours too. And I think He should. Right? He should really be challenging the way we look at people. Especially at this time in American history. So, I want to do is, I, want, I, I had four, but God wouldn't let me have that one. So, here's three that got through, the Holy Spirit gave me, on how, how can I look at people like Jesus. And I'm fo- I want to focus on this passage. And see, to look at people like Jesus, number one, it's I realize every person matters to God. I say that, and man, that is powerful. Every person? Every person. Now, you might say, well, do you believe every person matters to God? You may say, well, generically speaking, but when I put flesh and bone on it, when I'm actually out there living, I bet all of us have got a limit on our list. Am I close? Everybody matters to God? Everybody matters to God. See, an uninvited guest appears, uh, interrupts this meal, and it's a woman with a reputation around town. Everybody knows who she is. And she's standing behind Jesus, not behind Simon, behind Jesus, and she's weeping. And and as she's weeping, her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus, because the way they ate, they ate kind of reclined, and her feet are back this way, table's here. And so she's standing back here, and she's noticing that, and goes, oh my. And she goes, she goes down to try to dry it. She has no towel, so she unbinds her hair, which is a big no-no in Jewish culture. You don't do that. That just shows you how, just, she doesn't understand what religion's about. She doesn't understand church life. She's kind of out there, you know? And so she grabs her hair, that's the only thing she can think of, and she starts, and she started, and then she's, I'm at the feet of Jesus. How, you know, I think about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You know, she's not at Simon's feet because he doesn't have any good news. Jesus does, right? And she's sitting there and, and she starts wiping and she's close enough wanting to get every drop and then she finds herself kissing his feet. And when you're down there and you're kissing, it's, they're stinky. She gets that jar out, puts it on there. She don't want her Lord stinking. Worshiping. Worshiping the Master. And Simon is going, what's going on here? I brought all my friends. I brought Jesus. And then, what is this? Jesus, you know, with, uh, with Simon, it's like this. It's like, you know, the, my paradigm says you don't have anything to do with a woman like that. In fact, doesn't he say that? He said when he saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he said, I don't even know if he's a prophet because if he knew, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. That she's a sinner. She's a bad woman. She has a reputation. What's her reputation? We don't know. I've always thought she was a prostitute. You don't know that. I don't know that. We don't know. She's just bad. Everybody talks about her. She has a bad report around, around town when they talk about her. 
And Simon's like, man, if he were a prophet, he would know this kind of stuff. And so you look at this and you see, you see Jesus kind of, he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind she's there. This woman comes in, this guy's do- through his, through his doors into where he is, and he's thinking, Simon's thinking, oh, this is an unclean woman. If I, I, I wouldn't have anything to do with her. To touch her would mean what? I'd be unclean. Why is Jesus allowing this woman to touch him? Because Jesus isn't concerned about being unclean, but making others clean. Alan was telling me this Wednesday, and it's true. He wasn't so concerned about, you know, we, we, guys, we, sometimes we get so, and I, listen, I, I think it's a true statement. You better care, be careful around that person you're hanging around with because you could catch, the Bible says, evil companions, corrupt good character. It's true. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the world. That's true. There's things like that the Bible teaches. We need to be cautious in friendships. The book of Proverbs says that. That's true. That's all true. Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned about that. What's that all about? Maybe these verses aren't saying what I think they're really saying. When I look at Jesus, He breaks all the rules. He goes, no, Tim. How are you going to help somebody if you're always constantly separating yourself from people? You're constantly drawing your circle smaller and smaller and smaller. How do you reach anybody? I want this woman cleansed. And I can't cleanse her from heaven. I had to come to earth. So I broke ranks. I broke protocol. Whatever you call it. I want her, I have no problem with her touching me. And isn't this how God is with you and I? He has no problem with us touching Him? Isn't that awesome? Praise God, He lets us touch Him so we can be cleansed. And He says, I just don't want you cleansed, Tim. I want everybody cleansed. Everybody matters to me. Will you help people touch me? Will you get people to me so I can touch them and cleanse them? Isn't that what I'm reading here? Isn't that what I'm, you see that? Jesus is interested in helping people and not looking at the things that hinder it. See, Simon sees a person that's a sinner. Jesus sees a person who needs saved. Same person, same room, same meal, same surroundings, different perspective. See, Jesus is, I said, I said, wrote this, I scrabbled this down, it's hard to read it. Jesus is not, he's not about separating, he's about bringing. Bringing. How does he, what, Jesus, what do you see when you see sinners? Let me ask you, what do you see when you see sinners? Here's what Jesus saw in Matthew 9. When He saw the people, He had compassion on them. His heart went out to them because they were worn, weak, and scattered abroad, even as sheep having no shepherd. Why did you pick that translation? Because it really captures what it means to have no shepherd, to be scattered. And that word scattered, the Greek behind this this. This uh, passage is amazing because it's talking about when Jesus saw people, He saw people that were, yes, helpless, harassed, and thrown away like trash. Cast off like trash. 
They didn't have a shepherd. Shepherds didn't even want, didn't have, nobody wanted to take care of them. Follow me? And when people come through our doors, whether it's our house, our business, our work, our workspace, our campus, or, or right here in our own church, we're sizing them up, aren't we? They're interrupting us. And what will we see? Will we see a sinner? Or will we see someone who needs saved? His heart goes out to him. And I want you to know this morning, church, God is trying to confront two paradigms. The paradigm we have as a church and yours. He's trying to get us to see people the way He sees them. And I'm going to admit to you, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't see people like Jesus yet. I'm still working on this. I'm still working on this. You say, well, I think, I think people matter. If they matter to Jesus, and here's how you know if they matter to you. The answer to that question is found in your reaction and response to anyone you come in contact with. Do you want them saved? I heard a preacher say one time, if you're not going to be a church that's trying to, to welcome guests in, if you're not going to be a Christian that's going to try to bring people to your church or bring people, bring people to God, then why don't you just put a sign out on your marquee that says, you can all go to hell. Because that's what you're doing. How many times we meet people during the week and we don't even think about talking to them? I do it myself. Well, that's just, there's just so many people. See how our paradigm tries to justify that, that stubborn paradigm tries to justify why we don't reach out. See, everybody matters to Jesus. And he didn't care if it was at a meal. You know, here, I, I wrote that one, there's a statement that didn't make it in the sermon. Well, while Simon's looking at his plate, Jesus is looking at a person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, he, he's all about the meal, and Jesus is all about the moment. He's looking bigger. He's looking bigger than his little life, his little house, and his little patch of dirt. He sees the world so bit, much bigger than that. Everybody matters. Number two, I want to see, I want to see people like Jesus. What well, happens? And it can. I realize I still need Jesus as much as everyone else. Notice the word still is in there. Okay? I still need Jesus. I realize that I still need Jesus. See, sometimes when we get, we, we come to Christ in our mess and then He cleans it up and we start making less messes in a lot of ways. It starts going to our head. I got news for you, church. When it goes to my head, guess what leaves my heart? My love for people. My self-righteous mind fills up with pride and, and, a, and a calloused heart begins to be formed. See, humility plays a major role in how I look at other people. Pride labels people. Humility loves people. I don't know how many times I, I'd be confronted about, Tim, you just act like you're too good for everybody. Well, you're too good for this person. I, I, I was, no, I just didn't see him. I, I, no, I think there's more to it there. You know what? They're right. There is more to it. Pride labels people. Humility 
loves people. And see, Simon thinks he's a good, good guy. And isn't he? He is a Pharisee. He ain't all that bad. He knows his Old Testament. He knows his Bible. Most Pharisees had the whole Old Testament memorized. Word for word. That's, we, don't we rank that? Wow, he memorized, oh, he can spit out scriptures like a Thompson machine gun. Wow, he must know the, must know the Lord. You, you see, he goes to the temple, he support, he, he, he gives his, he gives, he's generous, he does all this stuff. He's moral, his moral character is just amazing. Through the roof. Integrity? You got it. But he's forgotten he needs Jesus like everybody else. He's been to church too long. He's heard everybody say, Oh, I just think you're wonderful. I think you're, oh, y'all, you're doing great. You're doing... And he begins to think that all that, all their words are true and God's word is not. When it talks about it, we're all still sinners. In other words, he begins to believe in himself. Simon's paradigm is this. He thinks he's the only righteous guy in the room or the most righteous guy in the room. How's that? He thinks he's the most righteous guy in the room. He Look, look at that woman. And look at Jesus. If he were a prophet, he'd begin to go, Jesus isn't who he thinks he is. And this paradigm is blinding him from seeing who Jesus is, who this woman is, and what God's plan is in redeeming people. He's watching it unfold right in front of his eyes and he can't even see it. He's too hung up on himself. And see, that's the thing. All this law-keeping, all this faithfulness, he's managed to forget that he still needs God. He still needs God. So Jesus tells him a story about two people. He says, let me tell you a story. And I just think it's interesting. He says, okay, teacher, tell me. And he goes, well, there's these two people. One owes, one owes 500 denarii, one owes 50. They owe it to a moneylender. Neither of them could pay. So he forgave the debts of both. What's he saying? Here's the similarity between him and the woman Jesus is trying to gain to see. Both of you owe. Both people owe. Both cannot pay. And both debts are canceled by the same person. By the same moneylender. See, see that? I like that. I, I just think that's amazing. I'm sitting there going, wow, I'll explain why here in a minute here. See, sometimes I forget I'm a sinner. I think all that Bible study, all that praying, all that giving, all those victories, all those people have led to Christ, I just assume that makes me righteous. And they don't make you or I righteous one bit. The money lender makes us righteous. Jesus makes us righteous. So next time I look at somebody and I start judging them, I need to, what does the money lender think of them? Huh? What's the money lender? What's the master think of them? He says, he says, Jesus asked him a question. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had, he goes, I guess it's the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. He says, yep, you got it. 
Look at the Bible says there in, in Romans 3.10. Paul said, for the Scriptures teach, and by the way, when he's referring to the Scriptures teach this, that's the, the part before this, there's none, no one without sin, none. There's none righteous, not even one. It says it also in the Old Testament. Simon knew that. He memorized those verses. He knew those verses. He's forgotten. His righteousness, his things that he's done, has he does he sin has he sin, does he sin less? Has he has he gotten better? I'm sure he has, but it somehow made him think he doesn't need Jesus. He doesn't need God. Look at here's another Pharisee. That's Simon. Now look at look at the this other Pharisee says in First Timothy. This is Paul. He was a Pharisee and a pretty good one too. This is a trustworthy thing that everyone should accept. Christ Jesus came into the world to save everybody else but me. No, it doesn't say that, does it? To save sinners. And I am not the worst. It's Bill over there or Jane over there. No, it says, I am the worst of them all. Notice, I am. I am the worst. He didn't say, I was. I am. He never forgot his roots. Never forgot. But God had mercy on me. Thank God. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. Look at how it changed Paul's view of other people. He says, you know, my relationship with God, because He saved me, I believe He can save other people. And He's using me as an example to encourage them to follow Christ. See, Paul's desire to see people come to Christ is fueled by his appreciation of God's mercy. He's never forgot it. Have you? Have you forgot how messed up you were? Maybe how messed up you are? I remember telling somebody one time they were so messed up. He goes, oh Tim, you're just, you're like, you know, you and Denise are like Mary Poppins and Bert, you know. You're just you're per- practically perfect in every way. I go, no, we're not. I'm just two decisions away from screwing my life up and being where you are. Just two choices and it's right there immediately. I mean, I'm not 50 choices or 100 choices or i got to do a thousand things before you know. I could be there like that. I could be there in just a few minutes if I wanted to be. Only Jesus is able to help me. Have I forgot that I still I need Jesus every bit as much as someone else? See, if when I keep remembering, remembering that I need Jesus like everybody else, then when I see the next person I meet, they need Jesus like me. They need Jesus just like I do. And just like somebody reached out to me, invited me to church or to a Hot Wheels rally or to whatever, or invited me to a a small group or invite me to a cookout just to get it started, just to get things going, or said, hey, let's have a coffee and let's just talk it over. It's my turn. It's my turn. See, Simon was having none of that. He didn't think he needed God. He didn't didn't even see what was going on. He didn't see that he needed Jesus too. For me, listen, then this is the last one, and I want to say to you uh, today, my mind is scattered right now. This third point is the one I, I was ready to quit preaching over. 
because I brought my own paradigm in and God says, no, this is what I want you to say. So just let me kind of preach. Give me a chance here, okay? Because I see I see people better and more like Christ when my love for Jesus shapes my love for people. And I think we got respect and regard. That just sounds too neat. I'll say it this way. When my love for Jesus shapes my love for people, there's an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the room! Messing everything up! The meal's all messed up! It's the woman. It's not the woman. It's not the woman. The woman's not the elephant in the room. It's Jesus. Jesus is in the room. It's the obvious person in the room is Jesus. You think it's the woman. It's Jesus. What do you mean? I'm saying how you approach Jesus, how you see Jesus, will help you see everybody else. Yes, the woman has has given attention, but Jesus spends most of His time talking about Simon's view of Him. He tells the story and He says, hey, okay, uh, the two debts have been canceled. And then He asks this question, who do you suppose will love Him more? It's important to see that word more in that passage. Who's going to love Him more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, that's right. And that makes sense. You win 50 bucks in the lottery. Your buddy wins 5,000 bucks. Who's going to be a little more excited? You both bank at the same place. You owe $500 on your car. They owe $5,000 on their car. And you don't have, they're wanting money today. You can't pay either one. You get a letter and it says, both of you read it at the same time. It says, you don't have to pay that $500. You don't have to pay that $5,000. Who's going to be excited more? Let me say it this way. Who should be excited? Both of them. Both of them because they couldn't pay. They couldn't pay. So Jesus, after He says this, He says, you've answered correctly, Simon. And then He turns to the woman and goes, have you been noticing her? (laughs) Huh? You see her? Do I have been seeing her? Yeah! I wondered if you noticed her. Oh, yeah. She's touching my feet. I know! I can't eat! It's grossing me out! No, what's the problem, Simon? What the problem is, yeah, I see the woman. She's a sinner, and this is what she's about, and she has this reputation, and she's hopeless, she's worthless. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you don't see her. You think you see her. No, you don't see her. You don't. Look at her again! Huh? Look at her again. Ever since I've come in this room, you didn't give me any water for my feet. She wiped them. Wiped her tears off. Used her tears as water. Usually when a guy walks in into a guest's home and a Jewish custom was was to wash their feet because they've been walking around in stuff all day, you know. And their feet are pretty nasty. And... And he goes, you didn't give me, you didn't give me, nobody washed my feet. This woman's washing my feet. You really see what she's doing? Uh, 
she, you know, she's not only doing that, she's, she's kissing my feet. You know, you didn't kiss me when I walked in the room. Usually a guest would be kissed on the cheek. Like we guess with a handshake or a hug, they would kiss each other. This woman's kissing my feet. And, and, and usually when you walk in a room, they put a little ointment on your head. They put something, kind of, you know, deal with your BO a little bit. But also, it was a gesture of, you know, favor. She's put perfume on my feet. Do you really see her? Do you? Of course I see her. No, you don't. Here's why you don't see her. Because you don't see me. You don't see me. She sees me. She gets me. You don't get me, Simon. That's why you look at this woman like she's worthless. Because if you knew... If you knew who was sitting at the table with you, you would want this woman to get better. Does that make any sense to you? It makes total sense to me. You've written her off. She's a worthless. She's a waste of time. But I haven't, and you shouldn't either. And you wouldn't do this to her if you knew who I was. Look at her, Simon! She's changing! She's changing right in front of you! You don't think a person like that can change? How many of you got people you look at and go, they'll never change? Instead of looking at them, why don't you look at Jesus? Look to Jesus. He can change them. Some of the reasons we don't really talk to anybody about Christ is because we don't think God can really help them, can change them. We think they've made up their minds. When really, we've made up our minds with this crazy paradigm. Follow me? He's saying, look at her again. She's changing. Simon, I did that. Wow. Took the pressure off of me right there. Jesus does the changing. I don't. <laughs> All I need to do is just let them in. Let them get to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. He's saying, look, she's doing what she's doing based on her love for me, and you're doing what you're doing based on your love for me. And you're doing nothing. You think you see what's going on. Your paradigm is somehow blocked your ability to see. Therefore, I tell her, tell you, he looks at that woman and says, her many sins, catch that, many sins. Which of the two characters is this woman? The 500 denarii or the 50 denarii? The 500. He says, your many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And this is, this is the perplexing part of this verse. I go, what? But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. What do you mean? See, Simon has it all going for him. He's intelligent. He's informed. He has moral character. He's respectable. He's faithful to God. He has integrity. All of his peers, he has a good reputation. But there's a problem. And the problem is, with all that that fills his, his repertoire or his resume, something is missing. And it's love for people. His love for Jesus and his love for people. 
you say, well, I love Why are you talking to us about this? Because you can be religious, folks, and still not love the Master. You can still be religious and not really have a relationship. You can think, well, I love God. And you've set it aside and think that paradigm's safe, fits together, when you ought to get it back out and look at it closely. Review it again. Now my question is this. Is he as bad as the woman? Many sins. How many has he got? Does he have less sin? Many sins. Come on. Think about it. He's a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good guy. But his sins are just as serious as hers. Yeah, you're always going to find somebody that's in a bigger mess than you. But you got to remember, I can't pay. He or she can't pay. And the money lender is the one that I need to focus on. Because God forgives both. He forgives both. She recognizes how good God has been to her and Simon does not. Doesn't see how good God has been and the mercy he could have because he doesn't think he has that much to be forgiven. But he's still in a mess. So maybe you're somebody that you go, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good guy. You know what? You're still in debt. And you hear somebody say, well, Tim, you don't have to beat me up because I'm so messed up. I'm so screwed up. I got so much going on. I'm not 500 denarii. I'm 5 million denarii and I got news for you. God can forgive both. Forgive you too. He wants both forgiven. And I just know this. If I don't realize how good God has been to me, the elephant room is Jesus, folks. If I am not focused on Him, I'm going to lose sight of this challenge. that There are people that you and I run into that are needing Jesus desperately right now. And we have to look past that. Oh, I don't know if, how in the world they're ever going to change that. Let Jesus worry about that. Let Him worry about that. You see, my love for Jesus shapes my love for people. Let me close with this. I just thought this was interesting. Another Pharisee experienced a paradigm shift. It was the Apostle Paul. And look what he says. Very interesting passage. It caught my, caught my attention because it has the word think in it and thought in it and things like that. From this time on, he says, we don't think of anyone as the world thinks of people. He says, I don't think of people the same way I used to. Hmm, okay. It is true that in the past we thought of Christ as the world thinks. Well, we don't think that way now. And my question is, which do you think changed first? They're thinking of Jesus and then people or people and then Jesus. Let's think about that. See, I think what happened there is when he changed his way of thinking about Jesus, he didn't think about him like the world anymore. Thought of him as who he truly is. It all of a sudden changed the way he saw everybody else. He saw God's love and God's plan to redeem mankind. So this morning, I just simply want to ask you a question. Can you think of somebody that needs Jesus as much as you? What are you going to do about that? What will you do about that?
Let God change the way you think. Let Him change your approach. So someone can be twins. You have a card in your bulletin. Uh, it's a simple communication card. and I don't know. Maybe there's something you'd like to pray about. Somebody you'd like to reach. Some, some problem you're facing. You just need prayers of people. I want you to know we're going to be looking at a couple of these kind of uh, some topics in the next couple of weeks. What should be my paradigm with problems? What's the paradigm God wants me to have? What's the way He wants me to approach what He's doing? An awareness of what He's doing. We're going to be looking at those in a couple of weeks here too. Maybe you're somebody who says, you know what, I want to open the Bible up with somebody and look at the Bible with someone. Why not put that down? Let somebody open the Scriptures and talk about it. Discuss it over a cup of coffee or something just to talk about it. To better understand. God's trying to change your mind right now. Will He change it? Will you let Him change it? Because the result is a new person. Let's pray and we'll be through here. Father, thank You for uh, this morning, Lord. Thank You for just a very thought-provoking lesson, Lord. I pray, Lord, that Help us see people like you do. Reveal to us where our thinking is in the way when we look at family members, friends, or strangers at the gas pump. Father, help us see that we need you. We still need you every bit as much as the day when we were baptized, that we need You every bit as much as the day we were born. Humble us, Father. Keep us from labeling and help us love people. Oh, I pray, you know, that... Oh, I just know Your agenda, what Your plan, what You want us to be is so much more important than any person here. Help us accomplish that. Help us see what You want us to see in this series. Father, some of us are thinking about that person that You've put in our lives that You want them saved. Father, we pray You'll help us have the heart of Simon, the heart of Jesus. You see Him right now, Father. You know where they are. Use us, use someone to reach them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.